while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando, the host of the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. And my guest today is is an amazing man. I've met him some months ago. I've talked to him on radio once before. He was a school teacher, public school teacher in Albemarle County, Virginia, until his creation, if you will, uh, made that uh, made that just have to, uh, he had to retire and, and proceed with his creation. John Hunter is my guest today. John Hunter is the creator of the World Peace Game, okay? And John Hunter is the founder of the World Peace Game Foundation. John Hunter, how are you today? Oh, Marcello, I'm so well, and I'm so happy to be with you again. This is going to be wonderful. I, I couldn't agree more. We, it, it was a marvelous conversation before. We're going to have a marvelous one now. Okay. So, one of, as I shared with John the last time we spoke, one of the things I always have said through the years especially when I have worked with students, I've said always listen to the children. And and for me, that's anybody under 30, John. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Anybody under 50 Exactly. But you know, children, before they get taught how to be filtered, uh, I mean, Art Linkletter said it first, I guess, as far as I know, um, children say the darndest things. Well, Children are doing more than talking with John Hunter, so let's let's get into some of that. John, tell us, please, what is the World Peace Game? Uh, that's a big question. Yes. Um, about 40 years ago, as a, as a uh, beginning teacher, I created this uh, geopolitical simulation. It was just a simple, uh, huge plywood board on the floor of my classroom with a map of Africa taped on it some game pieces there and I gave the kids the problems of the world to solve problems that I conquered to solve as a, a thinking exercise problem solving exercise and they were so good at it that we just kept going year after year and now it's a four foot by four foot by four foot plexiglass tower wow. actually four levels yeah it emulates the, the planet earth um, we've got an undersea level a ground and sea level an aircraft level and outer space level and these are half inch thick four foot by four foot sheets of glass are horizontally laid and arranged vertically one over the other to form this tower. And as I said, there are thousands of game pieces now on every level in the living mirror. And the children in my class are divided into different country teams, uh, cabinets basically. We have four agencies, the UN, a World Bank, arms dealers, and uh, legal counsel, a world court, and a random events weather goddess who controls the random events that happen. And uh, the student treats them to the art of war while tackling these 15 interlocking, interrelated problems of the world to solve real problems. And they've solved them over the last 40 years, uh, astounding me in new ways every time they do it, without adult interference or guidance. Wow. Well, 
<laughs> you, uh, John has just said a great deal and said it rather quickly. So I'm, I'm going to go back a little because I know what he's talking about because I've had this conversation with him. But it is as simple as John is describing it, uh, handing uh, world peace. Uh, giving, handing that over into the hands of young minds, uninhibited, not interfering with them in any way, but here it is. This is the world as we have, as John and I are very sensitive about, the world we have bequeathed them. And sure. I would say um, it's a great penance, huh, John? At least one of us. <laughs> um, and we'll talk more about that. But I, but I, uh, things... You know, you throw out things like um, uh, the weather god, and and I'll throw out the saboteur, and we'll talk about all of that. But the combo when love and fear uh, collide, and what happens? John is really talking about elementary school children, looking at this this four tiered, four level uh, image, if you will, of the world, Earth as we know it. And as he said, that includes outer space, it includes uh, submarines. This is not Monopoly, as much as I love Monopoly. The, um, how many pieces are involved, and what what kind of pieces? What do they symbolize, these pieces? Oh, gosh. It's, it's, uh, I've, I've lost count, man. There are thousands. Uh, the undersea level, as you, as you said, has submarines, undersea features, uh, oil rigs, and so forth that, uh, in our crisis scenario, sometimes explode. Uh, endangered species and coral reefs uh, on the ground level. Of course, there are mountains, the, uh, valleys, rivers, there are cities, universities, uh, museums, hospitals, and uh, of course the militaries. There we've got army and, and tanks and so forth, and the infantry. And then the aircraft level is uh, airplanes, tiny toy airplanes and big puffs of cotton for clouds that move around mm. the territorial airspace below. <laughs> And in outer space, there's an international space station, there's stars, there's uh, spaceships, asteroid mining. So all these possibilities are sort of tumbled into a cauldron of, of critical thinking. And the students have to just manipulate these pieces in such a way that they can solve the real-world problems we face today. And there's, there's no map. Mm. There's no guidance. There's no uh, direction given by the facilitator, the teacher. Uh, these nine-year-olds, nine, ten, eleven, we go up to the university students I played with now. But primarily, my, my uh, mandate has been uh, upper elementary. So these nine and ten-year-olds, uh, and we think they can't do it. We think children are not capable of creative and intelligent and critical thinking, but they are. Yes. Given the opportunity and given the support. And, and their allowance to be able to be human, to be able to explore their humanity and emotions and feelings in a safe and appropriate learning environment. They uh, come to compassion every time, much of it. It's mm. not even something they have to teach or preach you know, ethics and good behavior. They simply understand through the practice, this is the best way for us to be helping each other. Yes. And they work as teams, but the uh, are the teams opposing one another like most, dare I say, board games? <laughs> or... oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, this game is unusual in that uh, everybody has to win in order for the game to be won. In other words, every country's asset value must increase past its starting initial budget. And there's some poor countries, some wealthy countries, some middle middle uh, middle income countries, and also they must solve all the 50 interlocking global crises satisfactorily and reasonably. So they're pitted against each other with a 13-page crisis document wow. that we read together line by line. Uh, each team is a prime minister, secretary of state, minister of defense, and a chief financial officer, for example, like the secretary of trade and commerce as well. And these officers on the, in each cabinet uh, work against each other according to the crisis scenario. It's role play. Start off that way, but they come to a point where they realize, and we call it the click, when yeah. they suddenly understand that they're all on the same team, really. Yes. And Mr. Hunter has simply put them in this situation that is really false, <laughs> and problem solving is the root of it. And they suddenly go into high gear in the state of flow and mastery, and it's just a marvelous thing to see happen. Yes, I, I you know, and I, as I've mentioned to you before, I've never really worked with. Of that age group, I have worked with uh, middle school and high school from time to time, and um, but watching that aha moment, what you call the click, 
when mm-hmm. they get it, when they realize at nine and ten years old that they have been given a global, in reality and in the world peace game, a global situation, and that it it is up to them to solve it. Whether we, you know, I don't. Th- I think you and I agree. That's the. Those are the bare facts. It uh, both within the world peace game, but in the world itself, it's up to them to solve it. And you are giving them. Uh, I would say you are giving them the opportunity to uh, get ahead of it. Is that too much to say, or what do you think? No, that's exactly right, Marcello. You you reference it beautifully. Uh, it is their world. Essentially, they will inherit these actual problems in just a few years, and they will actually have to solve them in just a few years. And now we all know it's a, at a very critical state that it's, it's no longer really a game, even though we're playing a game. We're playing uh, situations that are so real. And so I always start off every game with a very heartfelt, sincere apology to them. I, I tell them, I'm sorry, boys and girls, but we're playing this game because we have to, that my generation, generations before, have left you this situation, and I'm so sorry, we're going to have to ask you to help solve that. And so that kind of uh, setup brings out a real uh, emotion, a real compassion in them initially. Mm. Even though they're pitted against each other, compassion just simply, as you as you say, the aha moment occurs when they realize the fundamental thing of being human mm-hmm. is that we're all interconnected and that we're all essentially one family, I guess. I don't have to preach that, or that may be my, my perspective, but I, I dissuade myself from that. I, I give that up at the beginning of the game and allow the world itself to be the guide, and they figure out what is really necessary, even in that crisis scenario. You know, since you've mentioned the crisis scenario, there are plenty uh, confronting them. Uh, but tell the story, please, which you know uh, really got to me. The nine-year-old girl. And I, and I love it because this story has two sides to the same. One is in the game, the World Peace game, and one is in the world itself. Can you tell us about this 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 hero of mine, this little girl? Sure, sure. <laughs> this hero, she is it's a hero of all of us. Yes. Uh, the game allows the children to be completely human, to do whatever they want, as long as they can afford to pay for it, deal with the consequences, and it has to make logical sense. Therefore, I cannot interfere, I cannot instruct, I cannot guide. It was a situation where a very poor country, starting off with a very low budget, uh, it happened to be a team of girls. The prime minister was a little girl. She selected her cabinet officers, her, her, her best friends. And I believe uh, her minister of defense was a little girl named Lily, I believe. And it's in, it's in the book, World Peace and Other Fourth Grade Achievements, as well. You can get the full story. But Lily was a minister of defense and instructed by Marcy, her prime minister, not to do anything. Because we don't have any money. We're poor and we're small. So just sit still. Hmm. Now, Lily <laughs> kept trying to tell Marcy that she believed that the southernmost uh, country to them, the neighbor to their south, her all rich, huge country, a very military strong power, was uh, on an offensive on the far side of the game board from them, waging an offensive and defeating other countries and taking over territories. And Lily kept trying to tell Marcy, Prime Minister, I believe that the Prime Minister of that country, Prime Minister Forrest, is trying to take over the world. We've got to do something. Mm. Marcy said, just sit down. We don't have any money. We can't do anything. We're too small. Mm. Well, all of a sudden, much to my shock and surprise, Lily suddenly on their team's turn marched her little tank column. She had four or five little tanks, Mm. a few thousand infantry and a couple of aircraft marched all that force into the neighboring southern country and surrounded their oil reserves mm. steel, just immediately, and sort of a blitzkrieg. She did it very quickly, and she didn't fire any shots, but mm. she simply took over. And we were just stunned. The entire room was in shock. Mm. It's a peace game, some of the children cried there. What are you doing, Lily? This is crazy. And I, as a teacher, I was brokenhearted because it's a peace game. It's mm. my game. She's destroying my, my creation here and mm. going against all my ethical values. And, and she simply folded her arms and refused to explain what she was doing. She was only saying, I know what I'm doing. Okay. Well, she endured several days of being ostracized, of her girlfriends, her best girlfriends being upset with her and being put out. 
And she just simply refused to budge. She said, I know what I'm doing. Finally, it came to light several days later, and she had been doing this for several days, that she and her prescience, her vision, had seen what the prime minister of that country was going to do. There was a secret quest for world domination in that leader, mm. and he was on his way to doing that, and she foresaw it, tried to convince her prime minister, convince the UN, the other bodies that this was going to happen, nobody believed her. So she took it upon herself to make a philosophical decision, a nine-year-old girl, yes. that she would start a small war to avert a larger war. And we had to stop to talk about the philosophical implications of, was that good, additional good? Was that wrong? Was it right? And to be that young and to be able to grapple with those kind of issues, that level of thinking, mm. just astounding. Yes. And it was beyond her teacher's capability to honestly, to, to grasp what she was doing. But she essentially saved us all by that bold and lonesome action to do what she knew was right in a situation where everyone stood against her. So there, and, and again, we stress that it's, it's a world peace game, but she's made this aggressive military move without firing a shot, taking over the oil uh, refineries or oil wells, uh, and in so doing... The antagonist country was was uh, uh, stopped in its tracks because she had cut off its source for. Incapacitated. Yeah, wow, nine years old. We read Sun Tzu's The Art of War. The students brought that to me one day and suggested we put it in the game because one little boy said his mother, who was a business person, read it every night, and he thought it was a good idea. So we voted again. We read a passage from it every time we begin a session just to think about and digest. We don't try and discuss it or answer or try to guess what this Chinese show from a couple of millennia ago is trying to tell us. But they use that understanding in their practice and sometimes do things counterintuitively that even their teacher is not able to grasp until the students reveal their true meaning and activity. <laughs> wow. All right. You you said it rather quickly, so we're going to say it again. There's a book, there are videos, uh, and we're going to talk about those and more of the World Peace Game and uh, with John Hunter, also the World Peace Foundation. But if you could, John, could you give us the, the title of the book and, and, the, and the movie? Sure, sure. Uh, astoundingly, it's uh, World Peace and Other Fourth Grade Achievements. Uh, it was published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in 2013, and uh, it says gone around the world. I think it just came out in Korea. The Korean language edition just came out mm. this week in time for the Olympics in Seoul, and uh, there's a Japanese version as well as other languages are in the works. Uh, there's a film, a documentary film by local filmmaker Chris Farina, uh, called World Peace and Other Fourth Grade Achievements as well, that has won major awards around the world, has been screened at the United Nations, the Pentagon, Silicon Valley, Google. And so it's just been a whirlwind uh, of amazement to us. You know, we're, we're just small-town guys, small-town school teacher, a small-town independent filmmaker, and these things were just noticed by people who thought that they mattered. All right, we're going to take a short break as we try to... In- absorb all of this from John Hunter, the creator of the World Peace uh, Game and World Peace and founder of the World Peace Foundation. We're going to talk about his students and the game that they play in reality as well as in the game itself and how they how they did with the generals at the Pentagon. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Taking care of an Alzheimer's patient is a pretty much a full-time job. 50% of caregivers die uh, while they Please are caring for awareness someone. about Alzheimer's and research. Just because someone's mind is being diminished does not mean that uh, the ordinary physical things don't happen. They can uh, have a sore throat and not be able to tell you. And they can have something in their eye and not be able to explain it. So you have to be aware that in every respect, life is still going on for them physically, even though you are focused on the, uh, the mental dementia, the, the person is still living a life physically and emotionally. For all those who see this video, I hope you will learn more than I ever did before you ever have to know it. That's my message. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 
272-3900. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today, John Hunter the uh, creator of the World Peace Game and the founder of the World Peace Game Foundation. We have given you some inkling of how, as he put it, to, to paraphrase John Hunter, there he was, a public school teacher in Albemarle County, Virginia, and he comes up with this idea. We have to find out how he just popped in his head like that. Uh, but then he finds a, a local movie maker, and in Chris and and children and there it is that's the team uh, nine and ten year olds John Hunter and Chris what's Chris' last name again John Farina yes Farina so they all come together that's the team and now they are read they are seen in videos they are played in the World Peace game around the world and one of the places they stopped on this world venture was the Pentagon. Now, not many people know that um, uh, at one point in my life, I worked for um, the headquarters of the Aerospace Research uh, Agency. And my boss was a, a full bird colonel, and we had our own general, of course. And for whatever reason, I was the one chosen to uh, take messages from the colonel and the general there to the Pentagon. So I've been in the Pentagon, I've walked the rings, I've seen more generals than privates, because that's what's in the Pentagon, and I want to know John Hunter. (laughs) Uh, How were the the starred gentlemen uh, with your students? I just want to hear stories. Tell us. Well, the esteemed gentlemen and ladies were just fantastic. We were invited there after a film screening at Silicon Valley. Chris and I were invited to the Defense Department in the Pentagon, and we had no idea why. Mm. We were a bit a bit shy, shall we say, to go <laughs> into to civilians like this. But when we, when we arrived, after going through all the security, the X-ray, the machine guns, the whole bit, mm. uh, we, we were taken into a large conference room with uh, a uniformed and uh, suited uh, personnel. And they said the most astounding things to us. Mm. They said, we have screened Chris Farina's film, World Peace and Other Fourth Grade Achievements, here at the Pentagon four times. Wow. We'd like to screen it here today with you two, you and Mr. Farina. We want to ask you about this idea of empty space. Now, we haven't talked about that yet, but the game is based in the empty or open space of allowing children to make meaning rather than dictating meaning to them. Mm-hmm. And that empty space concept, evidently, it resonated with those personnel. So we screened the film, had a lovely, astounding two-hour conversation, very heartfelt conversation mm. with these uh, generals. And they drove, drove home just in a, in a state of wonderment. A couple weeks later, <laughs> got a phone call, hello, it's out of Pentagon, and we'd like for you, if you were to bring your children who are playing the game, Wow. Right now, to the Pentagon, we'd like to meet with them to have a discussion. This is not a warm, fuzzy photo opportunity. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a substantive, serious discussion. Wow. So my little kids got dressed up. We got on a bus. Our superintendent and my principal, we all went. And that was the most astounding thing because they were quite serious. Mm-hmm. They said immediately, first of all, everybody in this room, all the uniformed people in this room have lost colleagues, friends. Mm-hmm some even relatives. And this long period of warfare, we've been at war over 10 years. Yes. We're exhausted. And we weren't expecting to hear this. We're exhausted and we are suffering. We expected to see a heartless, faceless war machine, you know, like mm-hmm. here are these human beings who are suffering and saying and admitting it to us. And they said, boys and girls, we're looking for answers anywhere. And we understand that this empty space idea, this allowing the space inside the practice to help you something we want to talk to you about. And they grilled those children for three hours, Marcel. I mean, we had pizza with the generals, they had a tour of the Pentagon and all that. Yes. But we were in this room and they treated them as peers, as equals, one-to-one. And asking questions like, how do you handle insurgents in the field? And I remember Sarah Smith, a little Secretary of State, standing up and smoothing her little dress, her little nine-year-old dress, and replying to the 30-year combat veteran, three-star Marine Corps general, how she handled that. Wow. And that kind of thing went on. It was just 
you know, surreal, really. And then, of course, at the end of the visit, we got to uh, the highlight, I guess, meet uh, then Defense Secretary Leon Panetta in his office, who rolled up his sleeves, took off his coat, rolled up his sleeves. He said, I got to meet the president in 10 minutes, but I want to ask you about your problems. And he asked him about the toughest problem that they had. Of course, they all said, well, climate change, of course, that affects everything. He said, you know what? It's mine, too. Yes. Because all these new defense stones are opening up in the northern hemisphere. i got to deal with that. How do you deal with it? They talked for half an hour. And then then he did a, a, a beautiful thing, a military honor. He gave them a coin. It's called coining. Mm. A ritual handshake which is a rare and amazing thing for a commander to give to a subordinate in the mm. military. Mm. He coined every one of those children. And just to finish it off, when we left his office, there's a five-star general in the hallway who also coined them. That was Martin Dempsey, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Wow. And you can imagine how I felt. I was just completely blown away. I, just, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it. You know, John, wow. I, I am a veteran. <laughs> And I and I yes, and I was in a situation um, that was really much easier during uh, uh, the end of the Vietnam War. I was stationed at Fort Meade, and um, and sang with the uh, Army Field Band and the Soldiers Chorus, and created the Soldiers of Song. And I have to say, I have a, I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, you know the 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 my not only my military service, which as I said, is it was not uh, uh, was not like anything your children met either in the game or at the Pentagon, but I know a number of uh, veterans and I know generals from that time, uh, and I am very pleased and proud that they listened, that they invited you and the children. And they li- and I'm and I'm sure because we tend to think the military is, uh, you know, they're these guys that are all John Wayne and and nothing, but they're the ones bearing the brunt of of what your game is trying to solve. So I'm glad they saw that. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you. I, I I can sense them and feel that you you feel that involvement, you feel that experience because you lived through it as well. Yeah. It's a very difficult time in our country's history, and you know to to be in that place inside that that building, the Pentagon, to feel the the human, the very tender and human feelings of people who admitted to suffering and yes. wish they had another way, who said that we wish we had another way, that we're trying to find some other way. Uh, rather than doing what we do so well yes. all the time, just an amazing thing to hear. So my hats off to to you and to, and to people who take the time to even explore possibilities. Yes. Well, my grandmama had five sons in World War II at the same time, and all uh, of them came back, and and all of them, if you ever uh, got them to talk about the war at all, they uh, would all say, uh, "Nobody wants peace more than a man who wears the uniform." So. And of course, uh, these days that goes for the women too. All right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, John, all of this uh, 30 years ago, Richmond, Virginia, World Peace and Other Fourth Grade Achievements, Love It, the book and the independent film. I've watched videos of you, I've binged watched videos of you and the World Peace Game and Foundation, your TED Talk, and so forth. I recommend all of that to everyone. But tell us, as we have this conversation now, let's let's bring it back to, and I haven't forgotten the real-life story uh, in real time in the real world. Let's do that first. The Again, the, nine, the same nine-year-old girl, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, actually, it was one of her colleagues. And, oh, wow. So you have more than yeah, one over there can do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. These girls, this, this generation of girls are astounding. Yes, <laughs> they are. Um, all right, so another nine-year-old girl who's been involved in, with you in the World Peace Game saw a real-world situation, not just within the game, which which everyone is being extremely helpful, uh, even to generals in the Pentagon, but a real-life situation. Tell us about that. All right, right. Well, this young girl, and she's actually featured in Chris Farina's documentary, her name is Amelia. She was a prime minister of a very poor country, and her country had many issues, very difficult situations. And water water rights and water issues, clean water was one of her issues, I believe. So she struggled through all that, and playing the game 
concluded in the very next year in the fifth grade. She's 10 years old. Mm. She's reading in her classroom, we call it the Weekly Reader, a little news magazine yes. that kids in elementary get. And in that, she discovers that there's, uh, in Mozambique, there are villages in rural areas that uh, people are dying from foul water, not having enough clean water mm. to drink and wash and bathe and so forth. And she's, uh, it upsets her because she's lived through this very experience. Mm. But then she sees at the bottom of the article, it costs $100 that someone wants to actually install a well mm. in a rural village. So she immediately forms a charity. <laughs> she didn't remember the word then, I think. But she got her friends to give her pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. And uh, to ask an adult uh, staff member to facilitate the transfer of the 100 plus dollars she accumulated to Mozambique. And she actually was in, in touch, I think, with the driller, a drilling company, and saw that the well was actually installed. Wow. And in a sense, because of her own experience in this, this crazy, intense game where everything goes wrong, mm. she learned what to do and how to do it, and, and as a result, actually saved lives in the real world yeah. through her own experience. Wow. Just an amazing thing. Well, you know, I'm glad I, I asked us to, to go to that first because that feeds right into the question I was going to ask, and that is, what is the mission of the World Peace Foundation? Ah, uh, thank you, Matilda. Uh, it's, it's really very simple. Uh, we're just trying to do what all teachers are trying to do, and that is develop good curriculum and share it with students as far and as wide as we can. Uh, we're never just teaching the child in front of us. We always know we're teaching for at least 50 years out. That mm. the gesture you make today may go through generations. So our mission is simply to share this practice uh, with any and all students we can around the world. As of now, I think 33 countries have facilitators that I've trained, educators yes. I've trained. I think about 350 educators in 33 countries are now playing the game. And this is all because of the help of so many people working together. Our superintendent here locally, Pam Moran and Rosa Atkins, and their support, and just uh, so many others helping to share that mm. and get that out around the world. Wow. And, and you know, and I, I've talked often that the next wars, I mean, I'm not the only one, but I've written about it for some years, actually, about sure. the next wars will be water wars. And uh, tell us, I know you've mentioned it a couple of times, but how does, is that simply one, I guess, one of the many uh, world difficulties, challenges, situations sure. that the game sure. approaches? But tell us about that. It took me about, I don't know, 12 hours, 14 hours to actually put together the equation of the crises. There's actually a formula for how this works. They all must be interdependent. They all must be locking. As things are in real life, everything is interdependent. Yes. And so we have things like um, ethnic cleansing and religious and minority uh, rights issues. Mm -hmm. We have things like... Um, breakaway republics and land disputes, border disputes. The water wars is, of course, something we have. Oil versus um, alternative energy discussions based on economics and, and also political intrigue and desires. We've got things like famine, pollution, undersea mining rights. Just about everything you can imagine in the world mm. that's in a large-scale way a problem. We, we sort of ripped it from the headlines and modified it for children. Yes. You know, we don't have graphic violence in the game. It's not appropriate for children. We don't have suicide bombings and beheadings and assassinations. Mm -hmm. But we have the abstract concept of war, which they can manage. And, of course, they are all aware of it. It's not something you can hide from exactly. them. Exactly. doesn't exist. So in this safe and bloodless way, this appropriate way, they can handle all these crises. They're thrown into them simultaneously all at once. We're not breaking it off into bite-sized, you know, spoon-feeding them in bite-sized pieces of information and training them up to where they can uh, attempt the practice. We're giving them the entire practice at once with confidence in their collective wisdom that they actually can solve these problems. We have that kind of confidence in the wisdom of children. Yes. And they've proven this right for almost 40 years. Wow. They, they can do it. And they just do all kinds of kids, all walks of life, all kinds of ethnicities and nationalities, socioeconomic levels. It astounds me because children everywhere are children, and yes. everywhere they want to be happy, they yes. want to have good. And, and when they are trusted and when they are listened to, that's the thing, when you listen uh -huh. to a child 
and hear what they think, hear what their answers, what their questions are. They'll they'll jump in. Their mm-hmm. children are marvelous, and mm-hmm. as they say, mm-hmm. a child shall lead them. You 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 and your game give that a whole new uh, uh, twist. You know, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, the weather god, but also in the game, there's a saboteur, and how how is that person chosen? Is that a student as well? Teacher's job is only to ask the logical uh, questions that uncover their thinking and to call the time procedural uh, practice. That's it. But uh, we have a child in the game who is the weather god or weather goddess usually who controls the random stock market, the random weather, random events that occur just like they do in real life. But I wanted to put the full range of human experience in there, so I. I thought I guess you'd call it that dark side, the part of a, a human being that says, you can't, you're no good, mm. you'll never work, mm. you're not worthy. So that, that role is played by what we call the saboteur. Yes. And that is, uh, it could be a boy or a girl, it, it, sometimes a child who's in trouble in the office, I go to the office, they're in the most trouble <laughs> here. That's the one I want, I want the person with that skill set. Mm. So we bring that skill set to the game and say, we want you to do what you do. Mm. But do it in the service of good. Yes. And basically they're in charge of spreading misinformation, misleading, innuendo, irrelevancies. They're not to isolate lie, but they're trying to mislead. And everybody in the room knows that person's there, but we don't know who it is. And uh-huh. it's a secret. Uh-huh. So that our critical thinking has to go to the root because every word spoken by everyone, even your best friend, could be critical and it could be off base. So that element adds a huge amount excitement and drama as well as critical thinking to the game yes. and that person who has to upset and try to destroy the game so I'm working against myself by having someone like that on yes. but uh, that's life yeah but that's life and, and we all have to deal with it so you're certainly teaching mm-hmm. them uh, you know life throws surprises and wrenches and negativity exactly. uh, and how we respond is who we are I, I know we have to go, but I have to hear you talk about spontaneous compassion. I love that, oh, and sure, and sure. and about how you one can become a felicitator. But let's start with spontaneous compassion, and how does that oh, fit okay. with love and fear attacking uh, one another if uh, they do? Uh, well, we say that the game it's a curriculum piece, and as some of the best curriculum I've ever seen is there's a kind of super attraction, some kind of passion the students feel about the subject, about the topic. And also there's a trepidation or a great uh, fear, uh, anxiety at the same time mm. that maybe we can't, maybe it's too much, maybe we, we won't understand. So those two factors are inherent in, in all really, I think, very great curriculum and that those, those two factors sort of, as I say in the film, torque on a kind of a mismatch. Mm. And the students... They must, but they feel they can't. They have to solve it. They have to win it. They have to play this game, this gigantic, looks like a toy store on steroids structure. But they're afraid they're going to be overwhelmed and lose. And indeed, we try to overwhelm them deliberately, and they must fail yes. massively, repeatedly. Because this is an emulation of life. I want them to understand life has both things. You know, in our our culture, we often train just for success. Yes. To lose, too bad. We don't really care about you, but here in the game, we learn that life has both sides, and to learn to go through both sides is really a way of dealing with life itself. And what they find, though, always, 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 is that compassion. And it occurs not because I've taught them or because I deliver an ethics lesson to them. It, it occurs spontaneously arising out of their real understanding of life's problems and difficulties and how not only they are affected, but everyone is affected simultaneously and interdependently and sometimes indirectly. And they simply note that, they feel it. You can see them feel it in their bodies when they feel that we are connected and that my welfare is contingent upon your well-being and your welfare. And so they will take an action immediately upon that realization to make things work out for everyone. That's why the game has everyone's asset value having to be above the starting point. All problems satisfactorily involved satisfactory solve no matter who they, uh, they, whose problems they are. And so that um, that factor is, is heartwarming and moving every time you see it, and it occurs every game we play without my prompting or leadership. Mm. And so now we, we're asking teachers to come on board and uh, the website www.worldpeacegame.org 
is where the foundation is, is uh, located. And we invite educators of all levels. Uh, the philosophy and tenets of the game cut across all disciplines and all grade levels. And uh, it's more than the game. We say the game is not really about the game. It's about the deeper philosophical understandings. And so we invite educators to join us for a five-day five intensive watching 35 children play the game with me in the mornings. Mm. In the afternoons, the facilitators, the teachers deconstruct and uh, look at the mechanics and philosophy of what they understood and even go beyond the game and practice. Well, John Hunter, you know, <laughs> it's always a pleasure to, uh, to talk with you and listen to you. Uh, you are doing something clearly that is um, a changing perspective, you know, uh, around the world and doing it through children. It's just, yeah. it's it's beautiful. And, um, and uh, exactly. All right, John. We've been talking to John Hunter. He is the uh, creator of the World Peace Game and the founder of the World Peace Game Foundation. You should uh, visit him online. And again, that's www.worldpeacegame. Okay. Because you do want to see these videos to really get even more in-depth discussion than we've had time for today. Also, remember the book uh, and the film. Uh, Give us that one more time, too, John, how we can get the book and, of course, the title of it and the film. Is available mental and hardcore, mostly all large booksellers, Powell's, Barnes and Noble's, uh, Amazon, and uh, it, it, it's referenced in the TED Talk as well. There's some information there with the TED Talk, and of course, the film World Peace of the Fourth Great Achievement, the same title, is available through Rosalia Films, which is also connected through our WorldPeaceGame.org website. Fantastic, World Peace and Other Fourth Great Achievements. You gotta love that. Mm-hmm. Great read, great <laughs> film. It is clearly the voice that's being heard around the world. So there we are. Uh, uh, thank you so much. I'm just trying to pay homage to my great teachers whose shoulders I say I'm standing on every moment of my life. And I hope, John, through all of this, with all that you are doing, I hope one of the many things that are being accomplished in a very positive way uh, with self-discovery, because as you say, you you don't go in and lecture the kids. They find out. They discover themselves in the game and the game in themselves and they solve the problems that's what we need but i hope as a a sort of byproduct of this we can hope for more respect for teachers all teachers everywhere teachers have um uh, well let's just say they deserve everything we can give them and certainly our respect okay Thank you so very much, John Hunter, for being on the show and talking with us about his World Peace Game and the World Peace Game Foundation. John Hunter, we wish you all the very best. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Marshall. Thank you all. Bye now. My grandfather I lost when I was 17. And, my and see, like the sea of purple, people have been impacted by this disease, but when it comes to... have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's as well. In the fall, we were doing the walk to end Alzheimer's, um, and that was the first event where I saw um, the community really come together for this one event. And um, it was raining that day, it was cold, but um, it, a bunch of people, there were so many people out there because they believe that this is an issue that's worth um, their time. With the Junior Alzheimer's Association, I've been honored to plan certain things that are happening in the community to make a difference in the community at a young age and we also help fight the fight against Alzheimer's. My overreaching uh, goal every day is about concern and awareness. Raising concern about the disease, awareness about the Alzheimer's Association. My mom's been gone 10 years now and I'm just feeling like I wanna be involved. Support please the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 800-272-3900. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. America, if we can keep it. Is it possible what denies USA a balanced center is an invasion of the need for revenge? Could recurring emotional hotspots be what's spinning our moral compass, flip-flopping our political pendulum, and wielding derision in the face of our diversity? 
Are we willing to bequeath our grandchildren unlearned history lessons without a key to understanding? Democracy hackers entangle those already in disarray, the depressed by recession, fearful by being forgotten, and seduced by the folly that deliverance comes from empire. In the 158 years between the 1787 Constitutional Convention and the 1945 death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, we managed, through the sickness and health of slavery, civil war, Ellis Island, KKK, women's suffrage, Jim Crow, and two world wars, inconsistently clinching Benjamin Franklin's gauntlet, a republic, if you can keep it. Despite tainting exceptionalism with a superiority complex and being erratic in our divorce from monarchy, imperialism, demagogues, and despots, between Lincoln's 1863 Gettysburg Address and the 1914 Christmas Truce, we kept our republic. Whether perceiving or contradicting recurring clouds of past mistakes, calculated misinformation fertilized by a few, is again casting shadows over wise perception. False prophets preaching past greatness conjure illusion rather than incredulity, leading some into the tunnel vision of self-fulfilling antagonism. The international erosion of America's euphoric core rarely appears unmasked. Pitchforks and torches would expose manipulative war profiteering, skewed to lose the next wars in a Hall of Mirrors reincarnation. Believing campaign promises can save us from our accountability is succumbing to the veil of Versailles, projecting us into the World War II excuse we didn't know. Ultimately, Americans rose above the tragedies of Pearl Harbor and 9-11 because of our dreams for future generations and the hope with which dreams embrace inner peace. Achieving that, our healing strength emanated to friend and foe alike, even unlocking the apathy of church, state, and corporate leaders. Thus we remain, government of, by, and for the people. For those now hearing the still, small voice within, yearning to breathe free from a 72-year-old simmering pot of corporate marketing, religious intolerance, and political hypocrisy, can we discern, through the chaos designed for our distraction, the call to echo, indeed augment, Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., John and Bobby Kennedy, and Marian Anderson, Eleanor Roosevelt, Zora Neale Hurston, Lynn Hirschman Lee, both Rachel's Rosenthal and Maddow, Hedy Honigman, Zena Brisky, Mika Brzezinski, Claire Hollingworth, Edith Windsor, Maya Angelou, Heather Heyer, and her mother, Susan Bro. Could Elijah Cummings, We Must Fight for Our Democracy, be Franklin's admonition anew? A call to defend America from the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today, at home and around the world. Franklin, arguably the man who invented the American dream, explained... When you assemble a number of men to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, you inevitably assemble with those men all their prejudices, their passions, their errors of opinion, their local interests, and their selfish views. Could assembling antagonists to our agriculture, management and budget, CIA, commerce, education, energy, HUD, interior, justice, labor, United Nations, SBA and Treasury be the smoking gun in the Russian hack of our 2016 elections, hiding in plain sight? Keeping our democratic republic requires being what we're for more than what we oppose. Protecting America's homeless from tactics used against lepers by the Roman Empire. Honoring family values by supporting DACA families and aiding American families living in Puerto Rico. Standing tall with Standing Rock rocking the world by our humane example that defrosts ice and dissolves ISIS. The courage to remain the home of the brave comes with admitting both stains and gains, malice toward none, with charity for all, imprisoning innocent Asian-American civilians, military-industrial complex using Marshall Plan for financial imperialism, being willing marks for McCarthyism, Dulles and Koch brothers, 
allowing LBJ escalation and Nixon expansion of the Vietnam War. Self-righteous overreaction to inappropriate sexual behavior by a president aiding and abetting a Wall Street White House waging endless oil wars. Destroying lives in the name of protecting our borders. Banding words and terminology from government agencies. We cannot reason with the unreasonable, nor expect labeling anyone stupid will garner a reasonable dialogue. However, our Statue of Liberty promise remains America's best defense against those who project their alternative facts and fake news on our Bill of Rights. Beware leaders who make the country look very bad, as they may be thieves in the night stealing Reagan's shining city on a hill. Our 2017 elections notwithstanding, we've seen worse and done better. History's most vile example of man's inhumanity to humankind is a convenient club with which to beat wannabe autocrats, but narrowly evoking Hitler ignores the pertinent counter-lesson of hope. Considering the 20th century histories of Jewish, German, and Japanese populations, so utterly devastated by Holocaust, war, and misplaced atomic energy, are now resurrected and redefined survivors of the worst man could imagine. Yet they still face life-threatening challenges. Japan in range of North Korean missiles. Israel almost 70 years relentlessly defiant against encircling enemies. And Germany post-conquered and divided the financial stability of Europe, despite Greek economy, Britain's Brexit, and Americans forgetting no man is an island. Surely our American road home will be far less perilous the more we elect people with unshakable character instead of opportunists shaking things up. Radiating to all this reasonable realization, a rising tide lifts all boats, ensures national honor, international humanity, and our democratic republic, so we can keep it. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.